Welcome to another edition of the In Search SEO Podcast, where we paint the town red with search marketing insights. This week, we welcome Investing.com's own Egal Stoltner, who joins us to shed light on search competition analysis, how to know which competitors you should or should not focus on, how to gauge a competitor's threat level qualitatively, and how to be both innovative and effective when creating an SEO strategy based on your competition analysis. Plus, we look at how the length of featured snippets has changed and what it might mean for your site's traffic. I am your host, Morty Oberstein, and I am joined by she who hates anything old, including her grandparents, <gasps> Sapir Carabello. Why are you taking my, my words out of context, Morty? I said I hate old pop culture references, not that I hate anything old. By the way, shout out to my grandparents. <laughs> I love you. You're awesome. But there's no, there, there's just no chance they're listening. Because, no offense. No offense to you because <laughs> every time I bring up an old um, you know, movie from the 80s, like early 90s, you're like, oh, this is terrible. I'm not listening. By the way, you did know and you did like Back to the Future. We were talking before the podcast. We mentioned Back to the Future. Right. So good on you that you at least knew what Flux <laughs> Capacitor was. But come on. Every time I bring up an 80s and you're like, this is old, Morty. Because it's old. It's not old. It is. I get it. I can't have this conversation anymore. You're depressing <laughs> me. It's depressing. And you, you're killing my mojo here. I'm sorry. All right. It's okay. I kid. I kid. I kid. Do not forget, by the way, we put out a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast each and every Tuesday. You can find it on the Rank Ranger blog. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on iTunes where you can subscribe. And also, do not forget, when you want white label SEO reporting, you want Rank Ranger. Our marketing dashboards are 100% white label as they give you full access to the HTML and CSS so you can make your dashboards look and feel like any site you want. Plus, it will not cost you an arm or a leg. It's cheap, 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 cheap. So head over to the Rank Ranger site to check them out. I should have been a used car salesman. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's cheap, cheap, cheap. Head on down. <laughs> Bob's Discount Auto. Please stop. I have. I actually have like a used car salesman jacket that I, you know, I bring out once in a while. Really? Yeah, it's awesome. I'll wear it to work next time. It's okay. not like a million degrees. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. All right. We've got a great show for you. Egal Stompner um, comes in and talks about SERP feature competition analysis. But before we get into that, and before we talk about all things search competition analysis, I took a look at the length of featured snippets for you, which means it's time to go data. In the not-too-distant past, I put out a study on the length of featured snippets uh, as they are now relative to the past. And I haven't had a I haven't had a chance to talk about them here in the podcast, so... Now's my big chance to talk about it here on the InSearch SEO podcast. Nice. Yep. So if you remember, I got to tie this in. Okay, a while back, um, a few months ago, I wrote an article for Search Engine Land all about why I thought featured snippets would be getting slimmer. Why slimmer? Um, because I went on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lame joke. Yes, oh, I'm so sorry. Dear audience, I'm sorry. That's terrible. should be sorry. Um, Sapir, I'm also sorry. Thank you. Okay. All right. So I think they're going to get slimmer in terms of the amount of content because Google's getting better understanding on what it's looking at. Okay. And of course, there's also some new indexation processes that allow you or allows Google to index short little snippets of content. I'm, of course, talking about Fraggles. If you want to learn more about Fraggles, we'll link to it in the post for this podcast okay now so in other words google wants to have shorter content well we'll talk about why they want to have shorter content but shorter content is because they're just getting better at targeting what should be in there and what should not be in there so google rambles on less in the feature snippets unlike me who's rambling on right now mm -hmm. right so anyway shortly after putting out that article on search engine land i started to notice that some of the content making its way into the feature snippet was getting in there really 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 quickly Right, so I would see, let's say, for example, I would see Search Engine Land do an article, and the next day there would be a feature snippet all about. I, I literally, never the next day. Sometimes hours later, that article, if you did the que did a query related to the article, you would get a featured snippet. I mean, so that was really super quick. And at the same time, I noticed that those particular types of feature snippets, they looked really short. Why would Google put shorter content in? Okay, so I suspect for two reasons. One, people like shorter content. It's just less to read. I'm busy and it's right. easier to read. Right. Okay. Um, but two, it lets the feature snippet act like a direct answer. So a feature snippet is content, by the way, it shows at the top of the SERP. It's content with a URL. In other words, you, you get an answer, but you also get a URL to where the content came from. A direct answer is Google's own content. So if you search for, I don't know, when's Danny DeVito's birthday? So Google will just give you a little box and tells you when Danny DeVito's birthday is. And there's no link. You can't go anywhere else. That's a direct answer. Okay. 
So having featured snippets that come off like a direct answer, just give you the answer and then you're done, that lets Google come off more authoritative, like my voice right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which, okay, which helps for a few reasons. Google wants to be more authoritative because, A, it's just a good association for people to have. Like we're authoritative. We're giving you answers. We want to be, a th- you, you, you want your search engine to be authoritative because you want people to come back to you and say, okay, Google knows what it's talking about. Right. It also helps for voice search to be very authoritative because on voice search, you don't get any options. You just get the answer Google gives you. So building up that profile that Google is authoritative is really important for, really important for voice search. Um, so that's just, I can go into this a lot more in depth than I, than I will right now, but those are two of the reasons why I think Google wants to have shorter answers in the feature snippet. Now, by the way, what Google, if Google could, I would suspect they would have more direct answers. But the problem is that means that they have to assimilate that content into their own ecosystem, so to speak, or their own backend, and they just don't have it. There's you most most a lot of the queries out there sites have the content, right? Google doesn't have that content. If you ask Google, you know when is I don't know uh, what day of the week does Thanksgiving fall out? Thanksgiving falls on a Thursday every year. That's a dumb question. Um, <laughs> what day? What is the date of Super Bowl? You know, one hundred and fifty six in the year two thousand and fifty seven. So Google will give you little boxes. Oh, that's going to be on February sixteenth. Right. Right. Okay. So Google Google has that information, but many many queries. Google doesn't have the information, so it uses the information from your site. So what Google does is sort of what what it wants to do is sort of have the best of both worlds. It wants to have its cake and eat it too, or pie, because I think pie is better than cake. Pie, so okay. Good. We talked about this before. We we're talking about pie. I love pie. <laughs> I know. Okay, so Google wants to have its pie and eat it too. So it wants to have a direct answer, sort of a, a direct answer format, where it's a quick answer, it's very authoritative, and it keeps users in the Google ecosystem but it doesn't have the content, right? It, sites have the content. So what does it do? It creates a featured snippet that it very much mirrors direct answers. So it, it uses your content to create a direct answer for all intents and purposes. And there are actually formats of featured snippets where it, it, it presents the, the content in the box with a header. And the header basically is a direct answer with some more content coming afterwards, but you don't even need to read that. There's basically a direct answer there in there via the title, via the heading of the of the snippet. Okay, I'm running a little bit you know, off topic here. So those are the reasons why I think Google wants to have slimmer, shorter featured snippets, okay? Now, once I saw that what I suspected to be shorter content within the feature snippets, I did what any normal person does. Move on. No, normal people don't move on. They get stuck in, you know. That's just you, yeah, Morty. You That's just mull it over, <laughs> think about it, experiment with it. Don't let it out of your thoughts. You stay up in the middle of the night thinking, why are featured snippets looking shorter? So I did what any normal person did, and I took 150 old featured snippets, and I compared them to the current snippets that appear on the search engine's results page known as the SERP. Old? Yes, okay. So featured snippets that appeared between 2016 and the end of Q3 in 2018. Where did you get these? Right. So that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a one that's the one question everybody's asking me about the studies. Like, where did you find these old snippets? So one of the advantages of having no life. Um, oh my god. <laughs> no, you know where I got them from? I, I went I went to the corner of of um you know East Fourth and, and, and Avenue A. Mm-hmm. in Manhattan right. and I saw a guy with a trench coat I'm like hey you have any old snippets he's like no but I got a couple of fake Rolexes hilarious hilarious no okay so one of the perks of being a total weirdo who takes tons of screenshots of surf features at least you know okay, yeah thank you and this might by the way be the only perk is having a very large collection of all sorts of surf features so I have a ton of feature snippets from the past two three years Okay. So now, now you know, right? You're satis- satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So do you want to know what I found? Okay. Why did you find more? Featured snippets are longer and shorter than they used to be. Wow, that's super clear. Way to be decisive, Morty. That's my middle name. Mm-hmm. Clearly decisive. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly decisive. Okay. So okay. Let me let me explain. So, by the way, I only looked at list and paragraph feature snippets, meaning feature snippets that show these a couple of sentences, I'm calling that a paragraph feature snippet, and feature snippets that show a list, either a bullet list, a numbered list, no tables, because tables are really, really hard. I was comparing 
I was comparing a feature snippet from 2016 to 2019. I had to count up the characters to see which snippet is longer or shorter. Really? Counting yeah. characters? Yes, counting characters. I literally counted characters, okay? And doing a table was a real pain in the neck because I didn't do them. Let me let me explain what I did, okay? And I obviously had a tool to help me count up the characters. I wasn't like literally counting up like one, two, three. Mm-hmm. I plugged it into a tool that said, here, <laughs> you know, 158 characters. Okay. Yeah, okay. Just to be clear about that. So what I did was like this. Imagine, okay? Imagine I had a feature snippet in my collection of feature snippets. I will sell you my collection, by the way, for feature snippets. I'll trade you. I'll pass. Okay. Um, I took a feature snippet from, I don't know, let's say 2017, and I looked at the same keyword and see if it brought up a feature snippet now. Now, if the format matched, if I got a feature snippet that was a list in 2017 for the keyword, and today for the same keyword, I got a feature snippet that was also a list, I counted up the characters, and I saw, okay, is it longer, is it shorter, and by how many characters? Mm -hmm. Now, if the feature snippet back then was, let's say, a bulleted list, like, I don't know, how I searched for, let's say, I'm making this up off the top of my head, how to make onion rings. Now, before you got a whole list of like steps you you had to take to make onion rings. And now, let's just say that I don't get a list, I get a paragraph just rambling on two or three sentences about how to make onion rings. Mm-hmm. I did not compare those two. Oh. Okay, because the, the list format, the bullet list, the number list format, and the paragraph format inherently have a discrepancy between the number of characters Google shows. Right. They're, the formats are so different that you're always going to have a discrepancy between the characters. How can I look and see? Is it shorter or is it longer? If it's not the same exact format. Right. Okay, just to be clear. Okay. So you ready for the averages? Bring it. Yeah, okay. So um, by the way, so I'll, ex- I'll explain, by the way, how I got to both shorter and longer feature snippets. Like I realize that's not clear. Okay. I'm not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. List feature snippets, right? Like you search for, let's say, how to make chocolate fudge, and you get a, a list, either a numerical list or a bulleted list telling you all about how to make fudge, okay? Those are longer than they used to be. Those really? are Yep, those are about 10% longer. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, we'll get to why I think that is. Okay. Now, paragraph feature snippets, right? If you were to ask, let's say Google, is it safe to eat the pizza if you left it out on the counter for three or four days? This is going back to my bachelor days. Oh, damn I. Right, and Google will give you a whole two or three sentences saying, no, you're a total idiot, okay? Even considering the thought of eating three-day-old pizza makes you a total idiot and in need of professional health. Um, professional help. Health help. <laughs> both. Both, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Those are those are paragraph feature snippets, okay? And those are shorter, not longer. They're about 14 characters sh- um, shorter, which I looked up well, how many characters is, is a word, right? And the average word is, uh, I think, like three. Um, I forgot the number, but scratch, reverse. I looked up how many words 14 characters would be, and that would be about three or four words. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 14 characters equals about three or four words on average. By the way, some instances, there was a massive discrepancy. Like, you had, it was like significantly, like 100 characters shorter. Okay? Now, by the way, I did not intend on this happening. So, paragraph feature snippets are, are shorter than they used to be, which is what my theory was in my Search Engine Land article. Mm-hmm. I just didn't expect, when I wrote the article, I had no intention of ever doing this study for the next year or two. I was very taken aback to find out that my theory would align if feature snippets are now shorter. But least featured snippets got longer. Ah, okay. So it all makes sense. Okay. It, mm-hmm. it, let, me, let me explain. Okay. So my theory is, is that Google is looking to turn the feature snippet into something a little bit less clickable. Okay. I'm not saying that Google has bad intentions. They don't want you to go to people's sites and they don't, they don't want, they hate, Google hates websites and they're making the feature snippet less clickable because they hate your website and they hate all websites. Google hates websites. I am not saying that. I am saying that Google is making it shorter because it's better for them. And it, and it might be better for users from Google's perspective, which often is not what we think is better for users from our perspective. But okay. Either way, they want the feature snippet to be more like a direct answer, like I said. They want, you to, they want the user to look at the feature snippet, get an answer, and move on, and not necessarily go to the site for the reasons that I said before about authority and so forth. Okay, and that could be better for the user from a certain perspective. Okay. Now, in the case of paragraph feature snippets... Less is more. Clearer is more. More succinct is more. More focused is more. More targeted answers will satisfy the user like a direct answer would. In other words, less characters in the paragraph feature snippet okay, shows that Google is getting better at showing only what is highly relevant in the featured snippet, which again makes them less clickworthy. Okay? Now, yeah, think about it like this. When I looked at a feature snippet from 2016, a paragraph feature snippet, 
there's a lot more. It was a little bit more wordy. It was a little bit okay. Why? Why is this sentence have to be here? I already, I already know what I want to know from the previous sentence. So Google's getting better at filtering out that that extra content, that fluff content that sometimes it threw into a feature snippet because it just took a, you know it took two or three sentences and threw them into the snippet, and that last sentence didn't really need to be there. And so the answers are getting sharper. Okay, so if you want to offer a, shed, uh, a, a sharper, better, more efficient answer that comes off and gives you all you need to know. Okay, then less is going to be more in general for a paragraph feature snippet. Okay, now imagine a list was shorter. Okay, imagine, let's say you did your search for how to make fudge, and instead of getting eight steps, you only got five steps. Okay, would that make you more or less likely to click on the URL inside the, inside the snippet? I mean, I guess the more I see from the receipt, the more likely I w- I wouldn't click on the, on the on the link. You know what I mean? Right. If I could see the entire recipe, there's no point of me clicking on the link. So I guess the less I see, the more chances I would click on the link. Exactly. The opposite of a paragraph featured snippet. In other words, okay, for lists, more content, longer snippets mean less clicks. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, in other words, it's the same paradigm. It's the same contract. It's the same strategy. Just in one case, Google needs less content in order to make it more like a direct answer, i.e. paragraph feature snippets. And in the other case, to pull off this new paradigm, i.e. list feature snippets, it's going to need to have more content, fuller content, fuller, more complete, absolute list where you don't need to click on a URL. And by the way, in many cases, it used to be when you have a list feature snippet, they would have you know five or six steps, seven or eight steps, and there would be a little link that says, uh, see more or, m- or more, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. In, in a lot of instances, that button is gone. Really? Meaning that the list, even though it might not be the full list, by the way, you might see eight steps, there might be 16. Okay, but it it doesn't come off to the user the way it used to be that, okay, there's there's eight steps here, there's more. Right? Right. Okay, now, you don't have the button. It looks like, all right, that's just it. That's what I got. Now, by the way, the number of steps stays the same. Okay, and it just there's more, the steps are fuller. I see. Yeah, it's into the okay. So that then itself is also interesting. Anyway, okay. So in the case of list, they're longer because it makes sense for what Google wants to do with feature snippets. In the case of paragraph feature snippets, they're shorter because that's what makes sense for what Google wants to do with feature snippets. And that's that. Okay. I'm done with this. But if you want to read the full study, the uh, the study is on the Rink Ranger blog. I'll make sure to link to it here in the in the par in the in the paragraph <laughs> in, the, in the blog post. In the blog post for this uh, for this podcast. All right, moving on. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that was interesting. It is interesting, by it's the way. Super interesting. Uh, very surprising that you see such a difference from just maybe a lot of the snippets for that I use were from for 2018. They're not all from 2016. I would say about a third, maybe half of them are from 2017, 2018. That's crazy. Two thirds, two thirds from 2017, 2018, and already we're seeing such a drop off. Anyway, okay. From competing with Google SERP features, i.e., the feature snippet. Mm-hmm. Uh, to competing with other sites, here is the ever insightful, the diligently analytic Egal Stoltner. Cut one. Welcome, welcome, welcome for yet another In Search SEO podcast interview session. Today, for your listening pleasure, we have an SMX speaker, a search marketing author, and he who just so happens to be the VP of Growth at Investing.com. Welcome, Egal Stoltner. Hi, Morty. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I found out a little dirty secret about you. You have a musical background, don't you? Yes, that's true. Can you elaborate? I know. Oh, you know, it's the web. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my dad is a cellist. My mom is a pianist. And when I was growing up, I was playing the violin, then the Jerusalem Music Academy. Wow. Viola at some point, guitar at some point. And yeah, music was part of my life. I'd say pretty much until I was like 20 something. And I had some kind of like a funny move from music to the web because I started um, studying web development when I was a child. So basically, a long story short, my first thing that I did online was a website for musicians. Wow. So at some point around 2003 to five, I'd say one of the largest communities in Israel uh, for musicians was a website that I was operating. It was my website with a partner. And that's kind of like transitioned me to, to where I am today. That's amazing. Very cool. By the way, I also need to point out to my audience that you... And tell me if I'm wrong, you were the first employee of, of investing.com? Is that yes, true? Yes, that's true. Well, that's true, but if, to be really honest, there was one developer who started 
a couple of days before me. Nah, um, it doesn't count. But he left a few months later. Okay. Wow, that's amazing. So how long have you been there for? Well, 11 and a half years, I'd say. Well, that's pretty good. Check that yeah, out. It's very, it's very long for, that for the online industry. Yeah, for 100%. That is that is a rarity. Very, very cool. Okay, so let's get into some deep insights onto competitor analysis. Okay, so I'm gonna, I have to start with this. You have a really interesting concept um, that I feel gets glossed over. And it's that you have multiple competitors from multiple perspectives. So theoretically speaking, you can have a competitor at the product or service level, right? You offer the same product, you offer the same service. You, of course, have competitors on the SERP. And you have your paid competitors. You have all sorts of competitors. The, the list is really, really endless, which is sort of the problem. How does... A, a small business, a local business, handles so many competitors from so many vantage points? Okay, so that's a good question. I, I gotta tell you that a lot of answers in our industry, they begin with an it depends, because <laughs> it depends. And yeah, it always makes people laugh, but the truth is that it depends here as well. And I think that my answer for local businesses or relatively small businesses is not gonna be very different from larger sites, because in the end of the day, even a medium-sized company is not going to hire five uh, analysts to only focus on competitive intelligence. So basically, it's a question of focus. I mean, there's absolutely, you know, just so much of everything, too many competitors, too many paid competitors, SEO competitors, too many content competitors, as you said, and it's all down to the Pareto principle. It has to be down to the 80-20 rule. So if I would be a small business or a medium site, really, it would be still the same. I'm saying you have to focus on the competitors that are responsible for most of the threats, most of the opportunities. And once you find them, once you figure out which ones you should be focusing on, this is where you begin the process. And from there, it's just a question of building a process that fits your own business. So it's a matter of prioritizing. A, prioritizing what you want to focus on, then prioritizing within that who the competitors are. Exactly. And even then, you know, for every single website that you'll be looking at, you're not going to care about everything. You are going to care about the things that make sense to you as a business. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I want from that, from quantity, I want to jump to quality for a second because we spent a lot, a lot of time in the industry talking about um, competitor analysis from a quantitative point of view. And we have all sorts of, of ways for doing this, right? You know, who sells more than I do, who ranks higher than I do, and so forth, who's got more followers, whatever it is. And I have a, I have a problem with this because... It's really, really easy to, to get hung up on, on that because it's easier to qualify it. It's easier to identify who your competitors are from a quantitative point of view, right? If I'm a social media, this guy has more followers than I do. If I'm selling products, they sell more products than I do. And that's easy from a certain perspective. But how do you go about looking at your competitors from a qualitative perspective, right? What's their, what's their overall threat level? And how do you do that at scale? Another, let, me give you, um, let me give you an example, right? Um, a tool can tell you, for example, who... It, who has more traffic than you do or who's ranking higher than you do. What it can't tell you is if that traffic that they're getting is quality traffic or it can't, or for example, let's say someone ranks higher than you on the SERP. Great. They're number one or you're number five, whatever it is, and they get all the traffic. But you have no idea really if they have a terrible bounce rate because they have a terrible UX. So how do you look at competitor analysis from a qualitative perspective? Okay. So first of all, we have to go back for a second and discuss how SEO tools, the same tools that we always go back to, how they even identify competitors. So they don't really know everything you know as a business owner or even as a marketer from a company. They just see what happens within the SERPs. Right. So if these websites, they appear next to me again and again and again, they're more likely to be my competitors. And very often it works, or for the very least, very often it's a good starting point, right? Right, most definitely. But I'll tell you this, from there you have to look manually. And one thing that I keep seeing pretty often is that a lot of SEOs, or at least SEOs around me, they are studying websites only by tools, only by looking at the tools. Mm -hmm. But have they registered? Have they read content? Did they buy from this website? Did they... Even just, you know, play with it, like go through the site, see what's going on and understand the, the true features or like the true value of these websites. That's something that I feel like a lot of marketers are still missing because, as you said, you may rank higher eventually, but is that your really business goal? And one thing that we know is that almost everything that we do in SEO, whether you are an in-house or an agency, is eventually a question of the business goals. In the end, there's an, uh, a CEO who will give you an okay or will not give you an okay for this project, which means that 
this is where it starts and you have to connect the things. You have to connect both the SEO competitors from a service perspective to what makes sense for your business. And by the way, you've mentioned UX and I think that UX is something that we are completely overlooking in search. But UX in the end of the day is not just whether this button is orange or green or is it bigger or, sm or smaller, it's about the whole experience. And we kind of understand that in search because it's like part of who we are because one thing that we do as SEOs is we use the web a lot, but I feel like we need to look a little bit deeper, maybe sit with our product folks, maybe understand the features better and see like, okay, is that truly uh, an opportunity? Is this really even a threat? And how many times you're hearing about a website that's supposed to be your competitor, but the company, the CEO, the boards of directors, they don't even care about this website. So. Like you have to connect all these things together. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I just recently spoke to um, Stoney DeGator about this because we're talking about the nature of language as part of the UX, and that gets totally overlooked. You can look at a competitor site. They might have a great UI, a great design, and whatever it is. But you, there, so little goes into analyzing the, the language they use, the language you use, the language that targets users. There's so much that goes into analyzing a competitor from a qualitative um, point of view. Let me ask you this, though, because when I think of quality metrics – that's a bad way to say that. When I think of analyzing a, a competitor from a qualitative point of view, brand recognition or brand uh, brand power comes to mind. And I just want to ask you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal like you might be better on the SERP. You might be better with your paid search. You might be even better, whatever it is. But they just have better brand recognition. How do you combat that? So brand recognition is something that I'm thinking a lot about because I find it really fascinating how important the branding point of view is how important the branding factor is and it's not really a direct let's just call it ranking factor mm -hmm. but how strong the brand is or brand awareness is is massive now let me ask you this question do all seos have access to some kind of a search volume tool i would assume i would assume so too now if you can do that can you track competitors branded searches i would assume so if you can do that, you can do two things. You can, A, look at how many searches there are for your competitors, one versus the other. And B, you can also do that with branded searches that are associated with specific topics. Let me give you an example. An example that I like is Best Buy, the store, laptops. Okay, people search for Best Buy laptops. And they search for Best Buy laptops because they know that Best Buy has a big variety of laptops that they can buy online. Now, that obviously helps Google understand the connection between laptops and Best Buy. They rank better for laptops, that's one thing, but also it can help us as marketers understand that among others, Best Buy is also known for their laptops because right. people buy them that way. So I feel like branded searches is a very useful metric to look at. It's also a fascinating one for us as companies to look and compare for ourselves over time, like what's your branded searches share over the whole, you know, list of keywords that you have over time and also compare it over time, like what happens this year versus the year before or what's your KPI for the next one. So I feel like this is something that can help a lot of uh, SEOs understand better the brand power, if I can call it that way, of the competitors. Yeah, and, and there's so much that goes into that now. I mean, one is I do think that, and I think John Mueller did, I, mean, I think he's being interviewed by somebody from Distilled. He was talking about domain level metrics and authority goes into that. We know for news results, authority is a big factor in there and brand awareness would be part of that. And you can really go down the rabbit hole in terms of doing branded searches and all the local f features like the, the, the knowledge panel, the local panel that show up for these things. And I don't want to do that. What I do want to do is, I know you have a concept that you call um, lean visibility or lean visibility test. And I know that relates to all of this and I was wondering if you can share a little bit about that. So the concept is very simple, and it, it's, uh, it goes back to what we spoke about previously about, you know, sitting with uh, one of your product folks and understanding, like, your competitors better. So the concept is pretty simple. I've been hearing about usability tests for years. The idea is simple. What product and UX experts do before launching a new website or a new app is going through this process, which is called usability test. So what is it? First, they prepare for the test, they conduct it with a few people, not just one, and in the end, they analyze the results. Now, what we could do, potentially, is have the same thing for our competitors. Now, if you would do that for every single query, every single page, every single competitor, you would probably never finish, so that's not something you'll do, but a lean usability test should give you a big chunk or a big part of, of the answer that you're looking for, and uh, 
the, the three steps that I have are pretty simple, to be honest. First of all, you just start with a search query. Okay, so put yourself in the user's shoes and try to figure out like, okay, what do I do now? Ask questions. For example, how long does it take me to find the price filter? How long does it take me to find any filter, really? Does it require registering, yes or no? Was this article really helpful or not really? And then you kind of try and answer to yourself, which competitor out of all the results that I have in the SERP provides the very best experience. Now, if you do that for your top five, 10 competitors, you kind of begin to understand things that maybe you did not understand just by looking at the stats. You kind of understand what's going on behind the scenes. Why do users prefer this competitor over what I have. Now, this is very much of a product-related question, but I feel like today, more than ever before, it can actually help us understand things better. I mean, yeah, you can do this for anything. I mean, you can do it if, if, you're, if you're a blog, competing with another blog, right? How easy is it to access the blog from the homepage or the website? How, how easy is it to view the articles? How appealing are the articles? What's their aesthetic look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I love that because you're looking qualitatively at the site, which I think so many people don't do, as you just, as you just mentioned, which brings me to my, my next question for you is that when you do something like this, when you do a lean visibility test, what you're really doing is seeing how, how all the competitors stack up together. It's all relative. There's no objective, you know, sort of criteria. Maybe there is, but as a baseline, but you're really looking at, okay, what's the experience for the user on this site relative to that site relative to that site? And do you think that users often, or I'm sorry, as SEOs or marketers, we kind of get lost in absolute values. For example, site speed would be a good example. Right? We all look at site speed. There's all these defined metrics of what's fast, what's not fast. And I think it was John Mueller. I could be wrong about this. And if I am, I apologize. But someone definitely said um, over at Google that, you know, it's really relative. There's what's your, they have a pool of sites they're going to pull out that are relevant to a certain query. And when they pull out these sites, there's all these different site speeds that are relevant to the certain pages. And the question is not how fast are you objectively, but how fast is your page relative to the other relevant results? So for page speed, in practicality, it's all relative. If you're semi-fast and everybody else is really slow from that pool of sites that are relevant, well, then you're super fast, relatively speaking. How important is it and what are your feelings, what are your thoughts on looking at competition analysis from a relative point of view and not from an absolute point of view? Okay, so you touched upon something that I really like because I'll tell you what, I actually realized that not from other SEOs, I realized that from our developers. So for a very long for a very long time, I would come to our developers and tell them, guys, investing.com is not fast enough. And they would do these actions and they would change the code and they would improve the servers or move them from one country to another. And then we would go up from 15 seconds to 12. Great. And I realized that none of that really is important unless you're looking at your competitors, which means a website such as investing.com, again, that's just an example, which provides real-time data for lots of different stocks, will never have the same site speed as this blog or this website about a specific brand or a, a, or a individual person's blog because they don't have the same confidence to begin with. So, Basically, I think that absolutely everything in our industry is in comparison to who you compete with. And that means site speed, and that means bounce rate. Like, what's a good bounce rate, Morty? Do you have a good answer for that? No, I have none. No. Or, or what's, what's a good number of links, you know? Huh. If you could find the magic answer to that, I think you'd be a millionaire. Exactly. Or what's a good dwell time? What is it? It's all in comparison to who you compete with. Now, we need to remember that there's more than just one list of sites we compete with because it could be the specific query and the larger the website is the more queries you have and different queries bring different competitors so your list of competitors only gets bigger and bigger and then there's the business competitors which is also something to look into but in the end if you're speaking to me about site speed choose a list of sites you compete with and see that you're faster than they are and uh, site speed is just one example but I feel like it really clears things up because there are no true benchmarks. Right. Uh, there's no good bounce rate. There's no good site speed. There's no good um, number of links. Or what's a good feature? You know, it's all in comparison to your competitors. Right. I mean, and that, and that definitely gets lost on on people because. It's just easy, it is easier to be objective about or have an absolute value that you can sort of base yourself off of instead of actually going out there and seeing how, how the competitive market, how the competitive landscape actually actually looks. And then, and I'll tell you what, then what happens is 
not only did she get a better view from an SEO perspective, which also often explains things that we don't understand because we don't always understand why someone outranks you, but it also explains to you or helps you understand what's going on behind the scenes from the user point of view. Right. Which is, you know, it's just part of the whole thing. So I, I want to harp on this a little bit because it leads into another point. And then, and I think it's a theme we've sort of been touching on here is that what's easier is what we naturally do, right? The path of least resistance, right? If we want to analyze competitors, we're going to do it quantitatively. If we're going to look at, at something like site speed, we're going to look at it from an absolute benchmark as opposed to relative to the competitive landscape. And I feel like particularly, I don't, well, maybe it's not particularly in our industry. I shouldn't say that, but I do see it as a problem when analyzing the competition, when doing a competitive analysis, there's sort of like a monkey do, monkey see, monkey do mentality, right? We'll look, we'll take a look at our tools, our you know content gap tools, our, our site explorers, and we'll see what a site is, is doing what we're, what and what we're doing or not doing relative to that site, and what we'll do is try to replicate whatever the, the competitive landscape is doing that we're not doing. If right? we're targeting X keywords and the, the competition is targeting Y keywords, oh, we have to target Y keywords, and it's just easier that way. As opposed to saying, you know what, the comp the competition is doing X, I'm doing Y, but there is option Z. I can be creative about this and I can say, okay, they're doing this, I'm doing that, but there's room for something totally brand new here, something totally creative, something that nobody's doing. And if you had, if you had a, I, I hate to ask you to pick one, if you had to focus on one versus the other, would you focus on making sure that you're up to par with the competition and you're doing what they're doing and you're on the same page there or on the same level there? Or would you focus on trying to find a new competitive um, avenue that no one has targeted altogether yet? So let's do this. I'll give you a full answer as much as I possibly can, That's and then I'll ask. go and then I'll go and try to pick one because okay. I don't think we can really pick one. <laughs> I know. I, it's, I know it's one of those questions that you can't really answer. I get it. I get it. I'll tell you what, and I'm not gonna say it depends, but it depends. And <laughs> the thing is that I feel like good SEOs or good marketers, just as good successful online companies, they do both, and you cannot. Do just one. First, going for a trend is not just okay. It's perfectly fine. And there are trends which already began. And you are a little bit late. And you have to join. You have to join the trend. Everyone's covering X. Everyone's speaking about Y. Why shouldn't you do that either? I mean, you should be there as well. And if a page exists for a competitor and you don't, it's fine to edit. The only thing that I would want to do, and this is what I would ask from our product teams or content teams, is do it a little bit differently. Do it a little bit better. Find out. I mean, you already have a good starting point because you know what they have. You already see the product, and you can build a better product. But ignoring that entirely just because you want to be innovative, I feel like that's, that's well, staying behind very often. Interesting. Okay. On the other hand, okay. on the other hand, if you will only be looking at things that others are doing, and you will not be creating anything new, you will not be taking the chance. But keep in mind, you've mentioned this option, which is option Z, according to what we said. The biggest problem with that is that very often you have no data to back it up with. And then at the end of the day, you go to your VP product or CEO and you tell them, hey guys, I want to develop this. Of course, it's a little bit easier when it's just um, a piece of content, like an article, an individual blog post. But even then, you have to kind of back it up. Like, why do we do that? Why don't we go ahead and produce that? But when you go and say, hey, guys, for site X, this brings 20 to 25,000 sessions a day. We should definitely have that. Look at the search volume. Look at the competitors. That's a very great uh, starting point, And it builds the case for you. Right. So, look, even if I'll go with option A, because I feel like, very often for most websites or most of our listeners here, uh, that would be the case. I feel like ignoring the second one would not make sense and vice versa. Yeah, I agree. And it, it, it's what's hard about it. It's, well, it's almost like a left brain, right brain sort of thing. It's hard for, both, exactly. for one person yeah. to do both. And, and, and it's hard to act on a theory. It really is. And it's scary. And it's all those sort of things. And I, I do think, though, that sometimes because we're overly concerned about it, because we live in a metrics or a quantitative data world, that, that we sort of do ignore that that innovation. And I'm not talking about look. I'm not talking about trying to jump onto the moon and land on Mars, whatever it is. Something small, something uh, one step further, something to try out. It's always good to experiment that sort of that sort of thing. 
I, I'll tell you this. When we're speaking about creating content, and in general in SEO, we speak a lot about creating content. I feel like this is something that a lot of SEOs and we as well uh, are doing very often. And which means that you have an idea, you come up with an idea, it can be while driving or showering, you come up with this idea, you have a concept, you add some kind of a, um, analysis point of view to it, for example, okay, which keywords maybe we should use or maybe what kind of image we should have inside as a, as a general topic. Everything else is new. But when it comes to content creation, obviously the last thing we want to do is just copy others. Yeah, and it's ironically, uh, yeah. I feel like content creation in the SEO industry is one of those areas where we, we – we fall back on, okay, this is what works, right? I'm going to write a post. I'm going to have to write a post on, you know, um, the top ways to build links in 2019. And everyone's done it. It's all the same thing over and over again. I was just talking to somebody else a couple of weeks ago about, that, you know, there's really, and I, I'm, I'm putting myself out there and I'm not trying to criticize anybody, but there really isn't a one website, maybe I'm wrong, maybe disagree with me, where I can go to and get some really innovative SEO, you know, articles, content, news on a daily basis. It's sort of the same thing over and over again. Once in a while, you'll find an interesting piece. Well, I feel like if you're speaking about the whole, you know, huge list of items we see in the world of SEO, and not specifically on this blog or another, then you're absolutely right. But if we'll speak outside of the SEO sphere, and most SEOs, they're not writing for SEO, they're writing for the topics they focus on. Agreed. I feel like writing about things that already exist, again, it makes sense. If it's a very popular evergreen topic you want to rank for, and it makes sense. But, uh, or if you're a news publication, and you know everybody writes about th this thing that just happened, you also want to be there, and you want to write for that, and you want to rank on Google News, and top stories, and just a regular search. That's perfectly fine. And bringing another angle, or a piece of uh, evidence, or an image, or uh, statistics, that's obviously not only perfectly fine, but it's also something that will help you rank better. But I feel like with innovative articles, if we'll go back to the SEO field for a second, they often don't succeed through SEO. They often succeed because people share them and they become actually viral and people speak about them because they have this, you know, innovative angle or a very interesting point of analysis. Uh, these articles usually are not written because they want to rank for SEO or anything mm -hmm. Uh, else, you know, with the highest uh, search volume. No, it, it's it's for the social. I, I can I can speak to that. I, I do the same thing. I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So let let me. Let's, I like I like talking about theory, and we're talking about theory now. So let's continue talking about um, theory a little bit. And I want to talk to you about how you conceptually look at competitors. How do you look at them holistically? Like, for example, I'm an oddball, right? I, I spend most of my time analyzing Google. Like, there's we're, we're on the verge of a, uh, or in the middle of an, uh, a Google update as we're talking about. And I'm thinking about these things, analyzing these things. That's, that's my perspective. I don't do SEO for a site. I have a weird sort of perspective on things. And that allows me to be a little bit, you know, head in the clouds in a way, which I kind of like. Anyway. One of the things that I get to do is I get to collaborate with my competitors. We, I've collaborated numerous times with numerous competitors. I think it's a great thing, maybe not short term, but long term. And the idea of looking at the competition, um, you know, sort of you know, cutthroat, it's us or them sort of thing, it just doesn't make sense to me. So let me ask you, am I crazy? And in the age of, you know, the digital world where there's so much interaction, there's so many layers and so many complexities to it, the sort of old school outlook of it's me or them, it's this cutthroat environment, you know, uh, they're the competition, and we've got to destroy them. Does that still work? Well, first of all, of course it works to a, to a point. <laughs> I mean, of like, ultimately it works. works. Short term, I, yes. I agree with you. Short term, it works 100%. And, you know, we're not going to go back to what we said in the, in the beginning about uh, different businesses and different things that work with them because on top of that, I think that even for the same business, for the same online business, it could be very different approaches with different competitors. So let's say you have a list of 10 competitors and you're like, okay, I'm gonna be super competitive with these three because you know we have the, a better potential there. And on the other hand, we are going to be a lot more um, holistic with others or we are going to be, uh, we're going to even work with them. Like in the end of the day, there's some competitors that you simply cannot be. And then the only thing you can do is join them so what's join them? Join them means to work with them. Join them means to have some kind of a uh, collaboration that can eventually help both sides. And again, I think that this is, going back to business goals for a minute, 
business goals means that in the end you have the CEO who wants you to do X. He wants you to achieve something. It could be traffic. It could be leads. It could be a better experience. It could be uh, improving a funnel or whatever it is really. But it's always back to what matters to the business. So take 10 competitors, see what works with some of them, see what works with the other list. And no, I don't think you're crazy. It's just that- <laughs> Then you don't know me. Just, not yet, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that both ways can definitely work. And the secret really when it comes to competitive intelligence is understand what's the best approach for every single site. And on the other hand, which sites I simply want to ignore because they are irrelevant for the business because I can't compete with them. And if I can't compete with them and I'm, they're not on my radar, so where are they? What are we doing with them? Ignoring is one option, but even then, you want to list it. You want to officially say that. You want to kind of like decide what you want to do with uh, such a competitor. That's, that's my take. Where do you think within that, where do you think, let me just ask you off the cuff, the idea that, so when you, how you interact with your competitors or how you interact with the, the industry in general, whatever industry you're in, and part of that includes your competitors, is perceived by the consumer. So how does that factor in? Or it might be you know, interacting or, or collaborating with competitor A. It's not in my best interest. You know, it's dollars and cents-wise in the immediate, you know, quantitative sense of it. It's not going to work out well for me. But to what extent or, to, or how do you factor in how that is perceived, how your interaction with them is perceived by the, by the consumer? So you need to take all things considered, really, because I can give you an example where I would see um, BizDev guys come to me and say, okay, we want to work with this website because the content department wants this type of content cover. We are not going to go into this right now. It's a new trend. We're going to take this content for someone else. They want canonical tags or they want link backs. Is that okay with you, Egal? And I'm like, eh, eh, let me think about that. Let me look at this thing. What does it, what does it even mean to the business? You can't just give an answer without understanding the whole thing. And very often, it's a no because it's bad practice for our SEO. And you have right. to take all things considered. Um, you know, biz dev in general, in companies, in-house companies, they have a big part in it because they want their own things. And sales department, they want their own agenda to be covered and uh, addressed. And we have our own one, which is very often different. So, you know, SEO contradicts very often with uh, sales and biz dev, I'd say, generally speaking. The approach is to find the balance that works the best in the best possible way for the company. Yeah, and, and that's always like, the age-old question of how that how that actually comes about. It is, it is, but you have to uh, look at the whole thing. And yes, sometimes, to be very honest, it's not you as the marketer who takes the decision. Right. Sometimes it will be the management, the higher management. No, for sure. I, that's how it goes. Okay, since we're talking about things holistically a bit. Um, how do you measure, how do you best measure your competitor overall? In other words, there's so many ways, so many metrics, so many vantage points that you can look at a competitor. You can look at their their social prowess, right? You can look at how they're doing on the SERPs. You can look at their 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 branding. How do you, how do you, you can look at their content is another way, right? Where are our content gaps? How do we compete in terms of our content? Are they ahead of us? Are they not ahead of us? Whatever it is. There's so many ways, as we mentioned, where you can, or how you can look at a competitor. But how do you measure it up overall? How do you, or is it not possible? to create a holistic overall profile of a competitor? It will never be fully holistic, Morty, but it can be pretty close to it. So I think that a very good starting point is pages. And when you're looking at top pages, you very quickly understand, okay, this is what they rank for, this is where they get traffic uh, to. And I think it is important to differentiate between organic traffic and the rest of the traffic, because from a user point of view, it's less of a thing. It's more of something that we as a CEOs are looking at. And then when you understand the whole list of pages and where this traffic is going to, you can go towards keywords. And with keywords, you know, A, for us as SEOs, it's definitely potential of things we could rank for. But it can also tell you a lot about new, things that are new for them, things they now cover, or even trends. In fact, I feel like looking at competitors' keywords over time can help you even uncover trends they're covering. Now, it only works if you list this and you are looking at that for, for months. You know, you can't just look at that once and understand everything. If you'll do it just once, you will understand what's their current focus or, or, or what currently works for them. And then I would add one more thing to it because when we're speaking about pages, 
we are very often not seeing the whole thing. And one thing that can really help is subfolders. Not all SEO tools provide sub, a subfolder uh, view, but a few of them do. And if you do that, you are basically looking at the categories of the site and you understand what they actually dominate. Now, from there, I'll take you to another thing entirely, which we at investing.com, we do monthly. Every single month, we list the traffic changes, just the one number in sessions for our top competitors. And that allows us to basically see what's going on. So one or two months ago, we saw one of our top competitors decreasing by over 20%. And the trend is very similar to most websites, six, five, four, 3% up or down. Now there's this one site that is down 20%. Now you don't know yet what it is, but you know that there is something to look into. And you let someone dive deeper until we figure it out. And we figure it out. And it's something that helps you really track everything that is going on. I feel like this is a big, big part of that. But definitely that, uh, you know, top pages, they have a very big part here because they often help you both understand, like, what is that they are truly known for, what they rank for, and also, like, what changes from one month to another. Yeah, I mean, the, the trends are... I love trends. I'm a big trends person. I think that they're also not focused on enough. I mean, even for uh, rank tracking, I, I did a piece recently about you know, the, the idea that you're going to track your rank at one point versus another point versus another point is ridiculous. Like, who cares where you're ranking? You have no idea where the trend really is. You have no idea where your volatility really is. You have no idea what your stability is. And that really applies across the board. It applies to your traffic. It applies to, ev- it applies to everything. Trends are the way to go. Before we move on, I have to ask you, I have a little bit that we're going to do in a, in a few seconds, but... What have we not, you know, it's a, it's only a short interview, really, because there's so much you can really talk about. But what have we not talked about? What are, what are some tactics, some some ideas to consider that we haven't really hit on yet that you sort of want to get off your chest before we move on? I'll tell you what, if I have to choose one, I would probably go into crawling through competitors. Okay. I feel like in the SEO industry, we speak so much about crawling our own websites to like figuring out the problems, the 404s, the 301s we didn't know about but we barely do that for competitors. Now, if you crawl competitors, there's so much that you can find. Let me think of a few examples. So one obvious thing would be to kind of like see the whole set of their titles, descriptions, URL structures, because you will never just go and list your competitors' titles and see like what's the common ground for all of them. But you know, especially for larger websites, usually sites use templates for titles, for descriptions. And when you crawl a website, you can just get a whole list in one place. Then I really like to think about the question, why do they even know index no follow something? Because mm-hmm. most crawlers, what they can do today is they can just give you a whole list of all the URLs that site apps, no indexes, no follows. And then you kind of like, okay, so they decides, decided to no index this page, which we do. Let's ask ourselves why. Let's have a little brainstorm inside the team. And that can come up, uh, help us come up with a lot of uh, interesting insights. Well, you know, web, web crawl depth is a big thing as well. Helps you kind of understand like how far their pages are from the homepage or any relevant subfolder. And let me think what else. I think that like the domains they are linking to is massive, can help you understand like uh, easily. I mean, you will never be able to find all the domains they're linking to. But a crawler can can easily give you a whole list of all the domains they link to, uh, both the number and specifically the site. So crawling competitors is not something I do like on a daily basis, but it's something we do from time to time, especially in periods when we learn or go through changes. And I feel like it can really be helpful for SEOs. I love it. I love that idea. By the way, looking at a, a site's titles and looking at how they change over time, for example, and I have to plug this, Rank Ranger does offer a tool called the SEO Monitor where you can see how or what title changes a competitor has made over the course of the last 30 days. You can see each time how that impacted rank and what they're doing, what their strategy is. But looking at what the competitor is doing, whether they're not using this tool or another tool, looking at what they're doing in their titles, looking at what they're doing in the meta description, look how they're using their, even, even their URL structure. It's, it's tremendous insight into how they're thinking. This is very interesting because if you are then able to find correlation between this and ranking changes, it can be very big for you. It can give you a lot of ideas. And you know, like, how often people say in SEO that titles are not what they used to be from, like, a rankings point of view? Of course they're not. But they still matter. Sure. And 
and larger websites that have hundreds of thousands of URLs, a little change in their template can make a change. So optimizing these is like part of the day-to-day -day for uh, for uh, enterprise SEO for sure. No, I've seen huge one. I, for example, um, I don't remember what the keyword was or the type of keyword that it was, but I saw when you added the year in, or if you added in there, it's the word 2019. So you added 20, whatever, X, X, Y, and Z, 2019, all of a sudden your ranking just shot up. <laughs> or, even, or even something that we've noticed, just remembered a few months ago, that one of our competitors, they made all of their titles shorter. I don't know what it was exactly, but let's say something like by 20% of its length. And over the sudden, they improved not all rankings, obviously, but some specific rankings that you've noticed. And it's something that you definitely want your SEO team to, to, to be on top of yep. and notice. And, and that's what, it's, a, it's a good point. It's not across the board. You can't add you know, 2019 onto whatever niche industry you're in or whatever type of site you have, and that's going to work. It all depends upon what type of site you are, what the keywords are, what the niche is, all that sort of stuff. There's no across-the-board rule for any of these things, which is sort of the point. Everything is it depends these days more. That's right. Every, every, I would put it this way. Everything is at the page level. I don't think there are niches the way there used to be. Certainly general factors are not existent to a certain extent. Everything right. exists at the page level. Totally agree. Okay. There. So with that, I have this little game that we do for my regular listeners. You know what it's called, optimize it or disavow it. It's where I give you either two really good options or two terrible options. You're stuck having to choose either one good option over another good option or one really bad option over another really bad option. So this is the Egal Stop Their version of optimize it or disavow it. So I'm going to ask you, okay, so since we're talking about competitors, Right. If you could identify a competitor by looking at their ranking, right? You know, this competitor ranks above me for X, Y, and Z keywords. All these keywords, I'm being outranked by this competitor. Or you can look at who has a better or over, you know, social media presence. Who has more followers? Who's on more platforms? If you can gauge it by rank or your competitor by social media, which profile do you look at? One over the other one. There's no depends here, I guess. So if there are no it depends, I would go with the first one, probably without a doubt. I have very mixed feelings about social media these days. Uh, I love social media on the one hand, but I feel like for my brand and for a lot of large brands, the things that are happening in uh, around social media are not great anymore. Mm -hmm. And a lot of frustration here as well, but we are not going to go there. Basically, long story <laughs> short. <laughs> I feel your long, pain, to quote Bill Clinton. Uh, long, long story short, I feel like without a doubt, so much more potential from ranking, you know, uh, improvement ranking from four to three than from seeing if post X works a little bit better on Facebook for your competitor. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And yes, I definitely feel that uh, social media is not what it used to be. It's very, very difficult and it's so much fun, isn't it? Uh, oh, yes. Yes, lots of fun. All right. Thank you, Iga. I really do appreciate it. This was great and we should do it again sometime. Yes, I had a lot of fun. Thank you, Morty. Have, you got a, it. have a good one. You too. And we are back to your regularly scheduled Insert SEO podcast. His answers, by the way, are so thorough. Like, really, really, really thought out. Seriously substantial. Very, I was very, very impressive. Mm -hmm. Really, like, solid answers each time. Okay, so now that we heard the interview, I am still on the fence with how cutthroat you have to be versus how collaborative you should be with your competitors. Obviously, there are competitors, by the way, you should not partner with for a variety of reasons. Okay, they're jerks. That's always a good reason. <laughs> um, they themselves are hyper cutthroat. Also a good reason not to really you know, align yourself with them. They're going to stab you in the back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A little too, <laughs> a little too aggressive there. Too aggressive. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> They'll stab you in the back. Ha ha ha. Okay. But excluding that, I'm still curious what, what people think. Okay, should you be collaborative? Should you not be collaborative with the competition in this digital day and age? In other words, yeah, mm -hmm. good question, I think. I'm curious. Anyway, that does mean that it's time for Rank Rangers SEO Community Question of the Week, which means it's time for Sapir to tell you what that question is. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, basically, um, generally speaking, do you think you should collaborate with your competitors? Or not. Or not. Or not. 
Mm-hmm. All things being equal, of course. Okay, obviously you're going to tell me, well, in this case, I did it in that case. All things being equal as a general rule. I'm curious to know, do you think being collaborative with your competitors makes sense or doesn't make sense? I mean, I'll, I will be honest with you. We've had some of our competitors here, right? Uh, we've done blog posts with them. I've known expert roundups, um, people on the podcast, because I do feel that being collaborative and is, is a better way. Like, look, there's room, for, there, and generally speaking, there's enough room for people. If you collaborate and if you're with other people and you show that you're really interested, because the truth is to me as a content creator, and this is why I'm asking the question, because as a content creator, for me, it's more worthwhile to focus in and make better, unique content. If that means bringing somebody in who may be a competitor of mine, who may have a really unique perspective on this, then it's worth it. But maybe not because I'm just a content guy. So what do I know? I'm also a marketing person. So I do know. Anyway, I'm selling myself short. Moving right along, moving right along, because I do not have a better transition than that. You know, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous, to quote the Big Lebowski over the past week or so in the SEO. You look at me like the Big Lebowski. You know the Big Lebowski, right? Of course I do. You're, you do not. You have not seen the Big Lebowski. I have oh, no idea what you're talking about. Oh, my God. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> I do not abide to that. The dude does not abide to that. That is a classic. Oh, you're kidding. old classic, right? Oh my god! Don't <laughs> call that. We're you're moving right along. There are a lot of ins and outs, a lot of what have yous in the SEO news recently. Oh wow! And we have Spice appear not knowing that reference. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask her to please take it away with the news. <laughs> Okay, so first, Google proclaimed that it is working to make the robot's exclusion protocol an official web standard. Okay. Then, Google announced you will not be able to use robots.txt to tell the search engine not to crawl a page. Google did list some alternatives, such as using a 404 status code or the Search Console Remove URL tool. Right. And this goes into effect September 1st, if I'm right. right? So it didn't happen yet. Like, don't freak out. But you should freak out soon if you're using robots.txt to tell Google not to crawl a page. You might want to change that. That's not going to work out well for you as of September 1st. Okay, let's move on. Google says it is going to be showing more app ads in iOS. Yay. Yay. I guess or no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Depends on your perspective. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Say hello to place topics in the local panel. Google is now looking at reviews, pulling out themes and highlights, and placing tags in the local panel so that a user can get a quick look at what a business is about. Oh, boy. Okay, okay. So imagine like this. Imagine you're you're a restaurant. You're a seafood restaurant. Okay? I hate seafood. Yeah, I'm not a big seafood person either. Okay. Okay. But let's just say you're a seafood restaurant. Okay. And users have leave all sorts of reviews all about the, the unique character of your restaurant, what you, maybe some of the things you offer in your restaurant, some things that make you good, some things that make you bad. Um, and Google's going to be looking through the reviews. It started already doing this. And pulling out some highlights from the reviews, like, you know, great atmosphere or um, excellent lobster, I, I, you know, whatever it may be. And putting these little bubbles or tags uh, at some point near the review section in the local panel so the users can look and see, okay, this this place is you know good at this and offers this. It's sort of like a description in tag form. It's really awkward. I, I, I don't know. I, it looks awkward. I think the, the format of it, take a look at it. We'll link to a an article where you can find it. I think it looks awkward. I don't know. What, well, let's say your business is like, I don't know. Let's say you're acupuncture. So you're going to have things like painful, needles, <laughs> hurt. <laughs> this business is, this looks great. Let me sign up for this. Also, let's just say, okay, Google does a bad job at the, you're pulling out the descriptions. Like what, what's going to show up there may not align to what you do at all or may not be reflective of what you do at all. I would like I understand I do understand having the the reviews being used, what people write, actual customers um being used as a way sort of to, to describe the business. But I would like a little bit of like maybe maybe let the um the owner themselves offer in two or three suggestions. You can have them in a different color, a different color, different color tag, right? So like you know the ones now are have a white background. Maybe put them in a blue background if it's from it's from the owner themselves. But something from the owner to balance it off, I think, would be a nice little doohickey to have in there. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, lastly, Google seems to have indicated that no other Search Console reports will be pulled from the new construct. Right, so okay, so you have your new Search Console, Google has redacted, pulled into legacy a bunch of old, or now they are old, um, search, in, sorry, search, in, uh, search Console reports. Google says, hey, we're done with that. Well, John Mueller indicated they may be done with that. It wasn't like an official statement, but he seemed to say, if it's there now, we're probably leaving it alone. So that's that's probably some good news for you, some stability. You don't have to worry what's going to be taken away from you next. Okay. Alrighty. So here it is. We've reached the pinnacle of the show. Oh, yay. Yes. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> As our time here passes and we're close to ending the show, we are at the height of search engine optimization talk right now mm-hmm. with the fun SEO send-off question. <laughs> Okay, so this week, since it was recently America's birthday, also known as the 4th of July, also known as Independence Day, and if you're not from America, you should know that hot dogs are a major part of 4th of July culture. They actually have a contest where people compete to see how many hot dogs they can shove down their throat. That's disgusting. It is disgusting. First of all, they, they get to dip the hot dog in oh in a bun and, 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 and dip it in water. Because you gotta get, you gotta get you gotta get down the gullet. Okay, so they eat they, these guys eat like 70 something hot dogs. I can eat like maybe like four. And, and where do you where do you put 70 hot dogs? <laughs> I don't want to know. And they're not like, <laughs> there's like skinny guy. I, 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 it's disgusting. At the same time, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. 70 you're, hot you're dogs. Weird. I'm not weird. People love that. They, there are bets in Vegas about who's going to win the contest. So I'm weird. That's weird. You don't bet on this kind of thing. All right. With that, okay, with 4th of July just passing and with people eating 70 hot dogs, what does Google put on its hot dog? Please, Morty. <laughs> Google won't eat a hot dog. They wouldn't eat a hot dog? Google is not a commoner. Google <laughs> Google would get like a prestige catering service or something and would go for a rib steak. Commoners? Not a hot dog. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Us peasants eat hot dogs. <laughs> I'm I'm saying it like Let me let me just like, let me just go back to steerage. From to get Google's a hot dog. point of view, okay? Oh, oh, I see you're saying Google's an being, elitist. Being and 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 I know Baidu would would eat Dog. Fine. Oh, correct. Because they have no class over at Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft. I uh, didn't say that. You, you just said it. Because um, only people in the steerage eat hot dogs. Mm-hmm. I love hot dogs. I don't know what's in them, but they taste delicious. Okay. I want to eat seventy of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> Dip it in the water. Dip it in the water. water. <laughs> okay, that's, that's not disgusting at all. It's like eating like soggy cereal with meat in it. All right, so if I were to say Google were to eat a hot dog, and I think Google does eat hot dogs because Google is just like us. No. Just like us. No. I would say Google loves condiments, all of them, mustard, sauerkraut, ketchup, pickles, relish, onions, cheese, whatever, because it's one condiment for every SERP feature out there. Oh, oh. I see what you did there. Number, yeah, that was, again, a little bit lame. Yeah. A little bit lame. As, as usual. Because, as, you know, these answers are not as easy to come up with as you may think. <laughs> In fact, the hardest part of this podcast is this segment, <gasps> which is sad. It is. All right. <laughs> and that'll do it for this week's episode of the InSearch SEO Podcast. Do not forget to tune in each and every Tuesday. Tune in next Tuesday for another episode of the InSearch SEO Podcast. And it's InSearch because we're all in search of something. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>